This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Welcome into the Fantasy Football Mailbag of Rotoviz Podcast. This is the August 9th episode, and we, as always, are dedicated to answering all your fantasy football questions. I am your host, Mike Randall. You can follow me on Twitter at RandallRant. Today, we are talking to Curtis Patrick, the co owner, chief brand officer here at Rotoviz. He's also the co-host of the Dynasty Command Center podcast and the co-founder of At Dynasty Command. He's been producing fantastic content across multiple platforms. He's one of those rare fantasy experts that can cover everything. Dynasty, Redraft, DFS, the whole bit. Follow him on Twitter at CPatrickNFL. Curtis, great to have you take a break from all the stuff you're doing and join us here on The Bag this week. Oh, man, I, I'll, uh, I'm happy to uh, join the bag, man. I think you're doing a great job with the show, uh, by the way. It, it's great to have some new life breathe into it, and they picked a great guy for the job. I just like stealing the ideas and the, the theory from you guys just so I can have a chance <laughs> in my league. So this is all a ruse here is what it is, <laughs> Curtis, no problem. <laughs> but seriously, you've been instrumental behind so many of the great changes and improvements here at Rotoviz. The new website is awesome. It's incredibly easy to use. It looks great. Talk about some of the changes you've helped spearhead here for people who might not be aware even with a top fantasy site like rotoviz we don't rest on our laurels we continue to improve and that's what you've done here so far yes i mean this really started last winter and just really started out with sean siegel and i kind of talking about you know what it would look like if i came back i actually started uh in the fantasy industry at rotoviz my first piece uh was that we're gonna i think we're gonna talk about this guy uh on the show vance mcdonald uh it's probably been yes, four sir. years ago or something yep. like that now <laughs> the everybody vance now hashtag that's kind of how i started out <laughs> at rotoviz and um you know i, I, I kind of hopped around and uh, had done done a little networking at, at other sites and seen how uh, things really worked and what were my talents? What were the things that, that I'm not as good at? I mean, n- nobody is perfectly well-rounded in fantasy and um, I'm not necessarily the, I appreciate applying analytics more um, than I'm going to create a new uh, metric. It sounds like you're a little bit the same way there. And uh, you know, I, I really like elevating and pointing or shining a light on things that, that other people do and then putting my own spin on it. How am I going to apply it? How am I actually going to use this uh, to be a better player or to give better advice? And so that fits great with Rotoviz. Uh, if you like championing those types of things, because just the number of analysts that we have here uh, at the site that bring new innovative ideas, um, courageous ideas to the table for discussion. Um, I, I think we've got more of those guys here than anywhere else in the industry. And so um, it really started with, 
you know, you kind of have to dress to impress, right? I mean, Rotoviz for many years kind of felt like the best kept secret in fantasy. You know, there was always kind of the inside joke that, you know, it's the site you don't want your friends to know about. I think that was even like a tagline on the site for a while. That's great. But when the advice is so uh, is so awesome um, and it gets the results year after year after year, at some point you have to decide, uh, is this something, you know, that has uh, more of a ability to be applied to the masses? You know, can these things like zero RB or one one elite RB or, you know, a- applying things to prospects like breakout age and taking those things um, mainstream are those things that can actually happen. And so we had to get away from the feel of a, a blog an energetic blog and, uh, kind of go to, you know, the, I, I guess we had to look the part. And so that, that started with a, a partnership with myself and Sean Morris. He was a designer I'd worked with on some other projects. And we had a lot of trust, just does a great job. And for those of you that know Dave Cabin, I mean, he really is one of the people that makes Rotoviz go these days. Uh, really, just does everything: multi-talented, video, uh, web design, all of those things. Those two guys really were able to take the vision that our team talked about and and actually make it come to life and breathe life into the site. And that's how you know how it looks uh, today. And so, kind of, I think the hope is that no longer people go to Rotoviz and appreciate the information, but you know, it's kind of just this thing over here. It's that you go and you don't even notice the site because it's so easy to use and easy to navigate. And and the the site is as strong as the content and the talent uh, that you'll find there. I totally agree. Rotoviz is the godfather of the fantasy sites. I remember just starting out and all the great stuff that's at Rotoviz. It's consumable, but it's high level stuff, looking at data, looking at trends, being able to explain it to people who are either diehards or just the occasional fantasy person. And you mentioned Dave Cabe, and Dave's going to be on next week. So we're going back-to-back here at Rotovis. So, Curtis, no pressure. I'm going to keep track of all your comments, all his players that he likes, and I'm going to grade them out on the last mailbag this year. That's what I'll do and keep track, right? That's the only way to do it. That That's fine. I'll, I'll go toe-to-toe with Dave on <laughs> uh, on picks. Just don't, just don't make me do some of the things that he knows how to do technically because uh, he, he's a whiz with that type of stuff. But in, in all seriousness, really – you know, just high level, what I would want people to take away, you know, if you're listening to this mailbag and you're not aware of some of the the things that have gone on in the site. I mean, we really just have such an engaged team and everyone from Sean to Dave to to Blair Andrews and, and Mike Beers and Anthony Shook's a guy who really makes a lot of these apps come to life. He's not somebody that writes for us, but he does things behind the scenes. And sometimes those you know, guys don't get the attention that they might deserve a recognition. It's really been a team effort. And then, of course, you know, the writing team, all of our our lead writers and our, our featured writers and some of the new talent that we brought on this summer. I mean, it just it, it feels like we're still Rotoviz, but it's a new beginning. I just can't wait to see uh, where it goes. It's really probably the most exciting time uh, in Rotoviz history, in my estimation. You know, with all the stuff you got going on, you still are able to tweet consistently. And one of the tweets you had out there was an impassioned plea from your father, who I guess is a Cleveland Browns fan, no matter what. You had it up there pinned for a while. I think, Curtis, that his plea has been answered, right? Because now we're talking about the Browns making the Super Bowl. Man, my, I, I mean, everybody loves their dad, but I mean, my, my dad really is the best. Um, if I could just sit around and talk football with him all day, uh, that would be a good day. And he's been a Browns fan since the sixties, you know, going way back, raised me that way. 
Uh, I, I was a little too young in the eighties to appreciate the last time they were good. So I just depend on his stories, um, to, I guess, to get me through until we've gotten to this point. But even going back to, I think this, this letter, uh, or, or pseudo letter that he wrote was after the Owen 16 team season. And it was basically, you know, Hey, don't give up on us. We still, you know, we still believe in you. We still think Cleveland can eventually win a championship. And he, he's just very much like a, a Rocky Balboa or, or uh, Rudy. Um, that's, that's what my dad identifies with, loves that underdog mentality. And I think he's going to have trouble adjusting, man, because we've got Baker Mayfield and, and the gang together. I, I'm really curious to see what it's going to look like. <laughs> Curtis, Baker Mayfield's biting beer cans. I mean, that can't be, your dad's got to be thrown off a little bit. Well, my dad worked at Anheuser-Busch for over 30 years, so I think he can still identify there. Uh, so we're, we're okay. Yeah, we're we're okay on that. But I think having that Cleveland swagger is going to be an adjustment. And so I, I'm really happy for him just as much as the, you know, the rest of Cleveland and how exciting that'll be. But yeah, thanks for bringing that up about my pops, man. You know, the Browns are pretty straightforward in a lot of ways with their redraft value. I was in the Flex League down at SiriusXM this past weekend. I took Baker Mayfield with the third pick. So him, Nick Chubb, you know, for the most part, of course, OBJ, people know where they're going to go and how to value them. But one of the guys I want to start with here is is a player that I actually got to see play basketball in high school in person, David Njoku. I'm curious. What would you do with a David Njoku in Dynasty right now? So if you have him on your team and he hasn't really performed to the level like an O.J. Howard-esque you know, player has, he has issues with the drops, the blocking, they brought in Demetrius Harris. How do you assess Njoku? Is this sort of like you think this is going to be the break, big breakout year or do you think maybe you should try to move him here before he goes the wrong way? I don't see him going the wrong way. I mean, look at all the talent around him. I mean, how how is another team even going to give any attention to David and Joku? That's true. Uh, and in 2019 and beyond. So, and with Baker Mayfield's trajectory being what I think most of us agree that it's going to be, and Joku, I, I mean, let's be fair. He's not going to be a guy that's going to get probably more than five targets a game. You know, at, at the high range um, moving forward, the Browns should be in a fair number of positive game scripts. I don't think Baker Mayfield is going to have a lot of 50 passing attempt games, 40 passing attempt games. So, and Joku's probably relegated to being the fourth or fifth, fifth option on the team. I think the way to look at him is a guy whose upside is something resembling 2018 Eric Ebron, where you know the yards and receptions aren't necessarily there, but it's within range of outcomes that he can have one of these boom touchdown years and be you know, a top three tight end. Um, you know, 55 receptions and 14 touchdowns, that type of thing. But if the touchdowns aren't there, if, if the Browns score uh, more, you know, if, if it if it works out that they're scoring a lot of long touchdowns or they end up running uh, in close from the five consistently and it just doesn't go his way, I mean, he can end up as tight end 15. And so, you know, I think talking about Njoku actually just brings up the debate of what really to do with the mid tight end ones in Dynasty. And really everyone below Evan Ingram right now at tight end four, I think there's good arguments against pretty much all of them, including OJ Howard uh, that you brought up in, in many ways, kind of a similar player. It's how can we find the volume for him, even though we like the talent. And so if I own Njoku to answer the question that you pose, I, I'm just going to hold him. Um, I don't think that he's a guy that many people are particularly targeting right now. Um, I'm not going to go out and buy him because I think there's a lot of other people that have the same type of uh, dynamic to you know their their potential future value, but he he's a fine asset. I think he's he's got plenty of upside, but 
you know, we just can't depend on him from a volume or an opportunity standpoint as touchdown dependency there. You know, that's a great point with Ebron, that comparison. That could absolutely be, you know, his situation. Uh, OBJ, of course, 5'10", 5'11", may not be the massive red zone target in this particular offense. I could see Njoku being very tight and dependent, but getting enough of them in, a, of course, tight end is so spread out after those top guys that he could sneak up and actually have a big year. And I, I think it's interesting because you have him in an explosive offense with what we think is a franchise and a really, really great quarterback. And then you have Howard, who's been a better producer to this point so far in an explosive offense, but with a quarterback that certainly hasn't impressed as much as Baker Mayfield has. Yeah, I can't argue with that at all. I think I it think sounds like we're in lockstep there. You have to see what Dave Cabin thinks. That's exactly right. We'll bring him <laughs> in and see what he says. That's the first question right now. I do want to remind everyone that you can get a listeners-only 10% discount to a Rotoviz NFL pass through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. That subscription gives you unlimited access to all the premium NFL content that Curtis had talked about before. And, of course, it supports the pod. That's rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Another way to support the pod is through Patreon. We've had it now for two years. Colin Kelly's been setting it up. It, we have our Slack channel where we interact with everyone. We have writers. We have things going back and forth, advice. It's a great way to jump in and to interact with our patrons. So the patronship started just $6 per month. I've loved it so far. You get crack at our Rotoviz listeners leagues which are about to start higher end tier of nine dollars per month on top of that you still get some rotoviz merch become a rotoviz patreon today and join the exclusive community at patreon.com forward slash rotoviz radio it's a nice way to help us out here as we continue to produce industry leading content and all the shows we do free each week on the network Curtis, you and Travis May talked on your podcast recently about your favorite cheap dynasty RBs who are outside the top 100, who you think make great trade targets or these late round startup picks. Talk about some of those guys that you think give really great value that people may be underestimating right now. Sure. Um, I, these are guys that you would see sprinkled throughout articles on Rotoviz all summer long, not just by me, but <clears throat> Sean Siegel has written volumes on some of these guys as the rest of the team has as well. Justice Hill is really a favorite of a lot of guys on the site, um, not necessarily just because of what he was able to do in college, but the landing spot there. Um, there is plenty of meat on the Baltimore Ravens uh, backfield field bone to go around. Um, Mark Ingram does not need to be injured or become old and busted for Justice Hill to be relevant. I mean, I think uh, it would be a shock if if that team did not finish top five in the NFL in rushing attempts, probably a lock for top three, really, when you think about it, especially with what Lamar Jackson will probably do. And so I think um, people are probably overestimating what he can add in the, in the passing game or the check down game. A lot of times the scrambling quarterbacks actually don't have as many of those as we'd like to see. Um, but I think Justice Hill can can easily get 8 to 12 carries uh, a game um, throughout the season. I mean, I, I will be shocked if he doesn't have, you know, uh, 120 to 170 carries somewhere in there. I, I really think that's what is going to be there for him. The question is going to be, you know, does he get any of that goal line work? Um, Ingram's so talented down there. Um, and will Hill get any third down uh, work with Ingram being a good blocker and, and probably being better than uh, everyone really appreciated for his d- duration of his time in, in New Orleans? But some other guys that kind of fit that bill, um, Austin Eckler, I mean, out in San Diego, um, I wrote a piece on what to expect from the Chargers backfield if Melvin Gordon does miss time. 
and I think people are missing the boat here on on Eckler. I mean, one, he's a much more athletic maybe than than you would think, but he paced for 192 PPR last year, even when with Gordon playing. And you know, I think there was a game where maybe he disappointed, uh, where Gordon didn't play, and and that kind of tilted people against him. But he really just didn't have good touchdown splits in the in the three games that he got. Uh, that it was just him and Justin Jackson. And if you give him just his regular touchdown rate in those games, I mean, he, he's basically like a top 16 running back. So Eckler could be, I mean, he's really a potential league winner if Gordon really gets stingy on this thing. Naheem Hines in Indianapolis. Um, and I think even, you know, guys really late, like Tony Pollard now. Definitely. Uh, another situation yep. where, yeah, where we've got people holding out. And, you know, I got into a, a fun conversation on Twitter. People are even asking me like, hey, did I watch the Pro Bowl? Last year and and what the uh, Cowboys coaching staff did uh, using Zeke and uh, Alvin Kamara in the backfield at the same time and rotating them uh, in the in in that game. And I think that maybe they there's some truth to that, that they got some ideas of how to deploy a back that's different than Zeke in terms of skill set. And it sounds like he's doing you know the most uh, of what he can with his opportunities in camp right now, Tony Pollard. So the fourth round pick from Memphis, the backup to Daryl Henderson, a little unsung. Um, but these are the type of guys that if they have the receiving skill set or the big play capability, they can pop even without the big time role. And then if they get the big time role, you know, it's that that whole zero RB mentality. I mean, these guys can end up winning leagues or, or at least uh, helping you get to the playoffs. So those are those are the running backs that I would mention outside the top 100 of, of dynasty startup ADP right now. Yeah, the two guys that I want to concentrate on are Hill and Pollard. You talked about Hill. I find, Curtis, that the Mark Ingram opinions are completely off-center. Either Mark Ingram was really, really great in New Orleans, and Latavius Murray then is, oh, he's nowhere near as good as Mark Ingram, or Mark Ingram wasn't that good in New Orleans, but he's coming to Baltimore where Lamar Jackson's going to open running lanes with a really good offensive line. So you can't have it both ways. I think Mark Ingram is really good. And if he were to go down, if Justice Hill grabs that satellite back roll and he goes down, you could be looking at the guy that pops up, right? Like you said, the satellite back who has the late draft position in seasonal league, like an Alvin Kamara in 2017, like a Noshan Moreno in 2013 that pops up and gets in that top five I think he can really be a guy who you can get late and he could have like you said standalone value and also he's an injury away from maybe a much bigger role yeah I I think that's spot on and I think another thing that people are maybe missing with Ingram is uh, how often we expect Baltimore to run from the shotgun and Ingram uh, is definitely one of the better uh, rushers in the league out of the shotgun formation I'm going to mention a guy just because I can't just mention the types of backs that I like because if you know fantasy is a situational game, another guy that has an ADP outside the top 100 that because of his ability to maybe get a larger role this year, I've got to mention Alexander Madison. Yeah, I'm not an Alexander Madison fan. I, I really am not an Alexander Madison fan. I think he's a, a classic Boise State compiler type. But Dalvin Cook just uh, Dalvin Cook's a guy that I did love coming out of school. Um, and, uh, you know, have a lot of confidence in, but he just has not been able to stay healthy. All of the, uh, reports out of uh, Minnesota this year has been that they want to get back to establishing that run game. So I think Madison might have a larger role than we're really uh, willing to recognize, even if cook is healthy. And I don't think it's a stretch to imagine cook missing a couple games here or there. And if the Vikings do, deploy that type of offense, Madison's going to have some games where he's starting for you, even in a non-best ball situation. 
Opportunity is king. Pollard is getting an opportunity. We'll get into Zeke a little bit later, Melvin Gordon and the holdouts. And Alexander Madison, same with you. He could be another propped up Mountain West running back, but Dalvin Cook has not been able to stay healthy and he would be in a run-centric offense there and be in line for a lot of value. Absolutely. That's a great call as well. It's about the opportunity, the talents later. The opportunity is king for sure. Where do you fall on the redraft tight end position? It's polarizing this year. People emphasize grabbing an early round tight end for the upside, you know, Kelsey, Kittle, Ertz, or are you more with me? I'm a late round tight end guy. It's definitely a wedge in my brain. I like to wait because if I go, I took Gronkowski last year. I finally gave in, right, Curtis? Here's Gronkowski, the target share, and I got burned. So I like to go late round. I don't like to put a lot of value in, in a one, one starting position, usually outside of of course, tight end premium leagues. But if you nail it like a Kelsey, it could be a huge advantage. What's your flavor here? Well, are, are we going to play scared? Is that what we're doing, Mike? I mean, <laughs> we, got, we, 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 we got burned last year, so that's going to impact what we do this year. Of course, I mean, because that's the, uh, way, that's the way you have to be, right? A knee-jerk reaction, Curtis, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, okay, so I do have a very specific take on what I'm doing um, w- with tight end that I think hopefully this will satisfy you, uh, my answer here. So I will take Kelsey uh, around the one-two turn. I, I don't have any issues with that. I like the offense. I like uh, the number of years that he's given us as productivity. I think it's possible that he has not even peaked yet. I will not take Zach Ertz. Um, I would find it very shocking if 2018 wasn't his career season. Agreed. Yep. Dallas Goddard is on an upward trajectory. Um, you know, we don't even have the opportunity for, you know, Nick Foles to step in here and maybe treat those Titans differently than we've seen in, in years past it. You know, if Carson Wentz were to go down, we don't have the same quality, uh, behind him there. So I just really have no interest in Ertz this high. And and George Kittle, as impressive a specimen as he is, I mean, geez, uh, he played most of last year with Nick Mullins. And I, you know, I just, I, I think Jimmy G's objectively more talented. I don't have any issues with that, but I don't know that he's necessarily going to drive the offense the same way. And so I have just enough question in my head and, and with the additional uh, pass catching weapons that San Francisco's added, Kelsey's really the only guy that I feel like is a lock to have an exactly similar role to uh, 2018. And so I will take him early. But if I don't get Kelsey, and I wouldn't say he's even a target, I'm going to take him, you know, like if if the other guys that I would typically like at that one-two turn, you know, if, they're, if there's not a second guy that I like, then okay, I'll, I'll take Kelsey. It's a consolation prize. I'm not really targeting him there. Later in drafts, that's really where I, I prefer to be on tight end as well. Um, my longtime personal favorite, Vance McDonald, definitely a guy that targeting, you know, maybe in the late single digit rounds, but the guy that I have more of than, than anyone else, uh, in my best ball leagues, and we'll probably end up with, with this guy and some of the, uh, the higher stakes redraft stuff that I'll do over on FFBC is Mark Andrews. There it I is. Am, uh, oh, yes. I've been, I've been in on Mark Andrews, uh, as a rookie. And, um, you know, I think I'm sure you've had people on talking about how impressive he was last year, really one of the better rookie campaigns um, that we've seen in the last um, uh, 20 years uh, by some metrics. And he's probably the best pass catching weapon on the team. And and you hear these, you know, I I get sick of like the little lingo that we all use on on Twitter. But the thing this year seems to be drumbeat. Everyone wants to say drumbeat. It's been a drumbeat for Mark Andrews. I mean, I, I don't recall any negative reports. All I hear is chemistry, chemistry, chemistry with Lamar Jackson. All I see is every day another report of him making big plays or being the favorite. Um, 
very, very possible he leads the team in targets. Very, very possible um, he's the you know the clear top receiving target in that offense this year. And so Mark Andrews definitely, I mean, sneaky even like mid tight end one upside. So I, I have no problem taking that in the uh, early teen rounds in some cases. Though I, I am starting to see a little bit of creep. Seems like maybe more of a ten to twelve round range guy, depending on if you get a fanboy in your draft with you. Yeah, a little bit of creep. I took it. Jake Sealy shot me a look across the draft room when I took him down this past weekend. Love Mark Andrews. Completely agree. Vance McDonald in line for a huge target share there with no Antonio Brown. I'm with you with the hesitancy on Ertz. And of course, when we're talking about George Kittle, can't avoid the fact that 857 yards after the catch, that was number one by far among the tight end position. That Curtis is not sticky from year to year. So certainly there's some concerns with Kittle also. Yeah, another great another great point besides the quarterback. So it uh, sounds like we're in lockstep there on, on tight ends two and three. Well, you said drum beats, so we got to transition to the bands here. I had Pat Fitzmorris on the bag earlier this summer. He put a poll out there on the best American band of all time. So I'm asking everyone now, what do you think? What's your choice here for best American band of all time? Oh man, um, I, I will say I, I will say Johnny Cash. Um, Ooh, that might be a cop out because he's not a he's not a an act. I mean, he had a band obviously behind him, but uh, just that timeless voice, um, instantly recognizable. Um, had enough. Yeah, he just had that aura around him where he, you know he even had some gospel in there, but he was such a damaged character that there's like layers to that. You know, like you know hearing him sing about redemption when you know the roads he's been down uh, he's he's kind of uh almost dylan-esque in that he's got the the poetry woven in there um but but he you know does it you know potentially with the whiskey glass behind his back and I, that's always been appealing to me uh really really big fan of, of johnny cash and somebody that my grandfather uh, shared with me uh growing up too so there's a little bit of sentimentality there That's a great one. Doors, Credence, we had them all. Johnny Cash is an excellent one. See, you're adding to it already. The list is growing. Fantastic call. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. So many great articles at Rotoviz. The tools we have are incredible for research and gathering the information you talked about it. You had a very cool article in July that was inspired by the Rotoviz screener, which is a great tool we have here where you can actually compare players to past players going back to as far as 2000 to see how the comparables are and what you can expect. You called it the three and 10 rule. Tell us a little bit about this and what fantasy drafters can take from this info about Panthers wide receiver DJ Moore. All right. Well, that's a great plug for the Rotoviz screener. I mean, I, I, I'm not just being a company man here. I really think it's the best fantasy tool in the industry. I mean, you can literally do anything with the Rotoviz screener. So if you haven't checked it out, or you know, you're you're maybe scared uh, to get in and, and and use it because we've got so many bells and whistles. Start spending the time. Um, I, I've been talking with Dave, actually. Maybe you can ask him about this next week. We're going to do some demo videos uh, for certain types of exercises that I think will help people feel more comfortable in Absolutely. there. Absolutely, yep. Uh, the th- yeah, yeah, the 3 and 10 rule really um, – this came about it, it was something more than a happy accident, but something less than being specific research that I was going in to do. Um, you know, I, I really wanted to look 
for myself at how DJ Moore's 21-year-old rookie season stacked up against other 21-year-old rookie seasons since the year 2000 um, and in different areas. And, um, you know, I, I just got all of the outputs and started playing around with, with those outputs. And in Excel, you can export things to CSV and, and do those things uh, with the screener. And it became, you know, First, first off, there just really are not a, a lot of a lot of rookie wide receivers who play uh, double digit games at age 21. A lot of those guys. Well, first off, we don't get a lot of wide receivers who finish an entire season at age 21. That's extremely young to qualify as an age 21 rookie. You have to be 21 on December 31st of that league year. So you can't even turn 22 um, before the end of the calendar year. So that automatically throws out, you know, the vast majority of rookies coming into the league. So it gives us a smaller sample size to play with anyway, but you start looking at the guys who play double digit games, what were their production levels? And, um, it, it, it was almost like this cohort just started glowing on the screen. And it was like, look at us. Uh, we all have these things in common and, and guys who play more than 10 games, and average three or more receptions per game in their age 21 season. I'm going to read you a list here. It's not very long. Um, you can uh, come to your own conclusions about uh, the quality of, of these players since 2000. We've got Larry Fitzgerald, Percy Harvin, Jeremy Macklin, Hakeem Nix, Josh Gordon, Keenan Allen, DeAndre Hopkins, Brandon Cooks, Mike Evans, Allen Robinson, Sammy Watkins, Amari Cooper, and Juju Smith-Schuster. These Jeez. are the only... Wow. These are the only 21-year-old receivers to play more than 10 games and average more than three receptions in those 10 games. So that is a, uh, I, I mean, that's, you, you can't argue that cohort. There's nobody, there's, there's nobody in there um, that sticks out as uh, having been a bust. I mean, we have some guys that have had some injuries, but in health, all of these guys have produced um, all of them have at least one top 36 season. All of them have at least one top 24 season. It's That list is littered with top 12 seasons. And the biggest thing with DJ Moore that we have to look at is these guys average a jump of more than 23 receptions in their, in their uh, second year. They're in plus one year. And so uh, I kind of just reverse engineered all of his uh, DJ Moore's per game splits from his rookie season and applied the, the group average uh, to his next year. And he, he'd be wide receiver 20, even if he doesn't increase his touchdown rate. Of course, DJ Moore didn't really score any touchdowns last year. That was, that was one weakness in his production profile. So if he even you know had any positive regression there, there's even more upside. So um, I, I will bet on DJ Moore heavily and am betting on DJ Moore heavily um, based off of the strength of this cohort. And so that's uh, I also did it for the age 22 uh, rookies because I didn't want it to just be a, a niche rule that only applied to a certain group. Um, there was also only one 822 rookie wide receiver uh, who hit the three and 10. And it was Christian Kirk last year Ooh, was the okay, you know, another his favorite. So we've got DJ Moore and Christian Kirk, two guys that we've been trumpeting for other reasons. And this kind of just feels like, you know, uh, it's just confirming um, what we thought that we already knew. But it's a, just another way to look at it. So we'll see. We'll see if DJ Moore can keep that cohort perfect moving forward. The age 22 uh, cohort just isn't quite as strong. There's a little bit more noise in there, uh, but still uh, about two-thirds of that group have gone on to do really good things. So age 21, I think this is something that I'll be writing about every year. We see any of these guys pop. We need to take them real serious. And age 22, it's something that's good that we can put the feather in their cap. 
it proves what you would intuitively think, which is if a player can come in at a young age and find a way to earn the trust of the coaches, get on the field, and become a consistent part of the offense, they are going to pop. That definitely should have been passed on to Steve Smith. Did you see that video out about Steve Smith asking Cam Newton if he should play DJ Moore? I feel like that should be put in there. Take him out of the flex. You can put him as a starting wide receiver, Steve, this year. It was so savage because Smith is talking to Cam, and Cam's like, yeah, you can put him in there. But then he's like, all right, I'll put him in there. But he's not a real wide receiver yet. I'm going to put him in the flex. And then DJ is just totally flabbergasted. I, I mean, I, he's he's I, look, I'm here with this Hall of Famer, this brash guy, totally anti DJ Moore persona, basically throwing me under the bus right in front of my face. Uh, th- that was that was great uh, Twitter video watching right there. I love Steve Smith. Ever since he broke his arm and still caught the touchdown pass, he's had my respect for years. Great competitor. Those videos, right. on, yeah, those videos on social media, they are meant to get our reaction. So I wanted to go around the training camps right now, talk about players, news stories, things that have come out, and I wanted to get your reaction. We're going to start with the big one, the holdouts. Melvin Gordon, Zeke Elliott. Curtis, what do you think? Do you worry about one more than the other? Yeah, I'm more worried about Melvin Gordon. Um, I'm a little bit more worried about Melvin Gordon because he started warning us about this over a year ago uh, when Le'Veon Bell was going through this. I'm a little more worried about it because he's actually come out and demanded a trade, even though the team has offered him. I think it, what the uh, I think the per year uh, take on this yeah. would have made him what like RB four in the NFL. I think and ter- I mean, I, okay, Melvin, I love you. I love you for fantasy purposes. Your age is leading you astray if he thinks that you know you deserve something appreciably more than being the fourth highest paid running back i think that's a that's fair we don't you know maybe like how teams are valuing running backs but if i'm melvin gordon's agent and he's getting uh a 10 million dollar uh, annual deal i don't know how we pass on that today especially when the team does have somebody like austin eckler or somebody that uh some people are, are liking and justin jackson uh, behind him, it's a little different situation than than Dallas. Dallas thinks maybe they like their guys, but they don't have any real like in season data on those guys. Tony Pollard looks good in camp, okay, but well, we haven't seen him in the season. Mike Weber, um, kind of like a, a complete back, but you know, again, another another rookie. They bring back the busted retread and and Alfred Morris. Um, just a different situation there. And Zeke also has an, even an additional year. Um, that he would be under the team's control. Um, and Jerry has also come out and said he expects to be able to get a deal done, whereas the Chargers have already offered that deal and it's been turned down. So I think you have to be more worried about Melvin Gordon at least missing some time uh, at this point. Well, the other situation is, to me, we're talking about two levels of efficiency. Ezekiel Elliott has led the league in rushing two of his three seasons. He has off-the-field issues, but on the field, we're talking about a guy who's always been over four yards to carry, sometimes 4.75.1. Melvin Gordon Curtis, in that first year, no touchdowns. He was always the guy that was getting the touchdowns, but no high yards per carry after that rookie season. Danny Woodhead was out producing him, but then Danny Woodhead got hurt. So listen, Melvin Gordon was great. He has been productive recently, but he hasn't been the most you know impressive runner of the football. He's a versatile guy, but I think Zeke Elliott has a much stronger case than Gordon. So I, I'm with you. I think the Gordon thing could really linger. Yeah, I, I'm pretty worried about it. He's he's kind of just an avoid for me right now, unless we get into like the really late second round, third round, where I'd you know have to make a decision there. But I'm not really seeing him fall to that. 
level yet. Zeke, I still think you have to pull the trigger on him if it's like the late first. I, I have moved him down. I think I don't have it in front of me. I think it was seven or eight, something like that. It did move um, DeAndre Hopkins and Juju Smith-Schuster in front of Ezekiel Elliott for the time being in my redraft rankings. Next one we'll turn to is the Bengals. A.J. Green, of course, getting hurt. So my question is, what do you think that does for Tyler Boyd? We did the research. You can use the Rotoviz game, the game script app, which is fantastic. You look at the game splits. They have the stats that can show you that Tyler Boyd, of course, wasn't as productive in the small sample size without AJ Green, but his quarterback also was different there too. So he's a 31 year old wide receiver that's going to be out for a while. How do you think that affects Tyler Boyd? Well, geez, um, I, you almost have to look at the whole offense. First, um, we've got a new head coach. We've got a, a horrible offensive line situation. Um, but if, if we have any faith, if we have any faith in the, in the in the new head coach to come in and employ a Sean McVay type system, um, you know, he, he I think that's going to be a, a lot of eleven personnel, and and I think that it, it's going to be a little bit more flat uh, target uh, distribution across the wide receivers on the squad, regardless. Um, trying to hit different guys at different levels, different depths, um, and and maximize uh, each guy's skill. Um, and so even if A.J. Green was healthy, I, w- I would think that there'd be more of a leveling off of targets uh, between the two of them. I, I think Boyd could get a slight boost um, without A.J. Green in there, but we kind of I, I, I almost kind of think like it, it would be something like last year in L.A. when Cooper Cup went down. Uh, we, you know, we kind of just all other guys get um, those targets. Josh Reynolds got some target share. Um, the tight ends maybe got a little bit more involved. Of course, Curley was involved. You know, we didn't see a huge boost in opportunity for Woods or Cooks just because Cup went down. Um, the, the the offensive system is is a little bit more in charge of, of where the ball is going than, than any individual player. So I do think Boyd needs to be obviously valued in front of AJ green, um, for redraft and for dynasty purposes at this point, AJ green's not really somebody I want to touch, uh, in either situation at this point. And, and Boyd, I think he's got like top 18 upside. If you read Sean Siegel's article, uh, from a couple months ago, he called the Cincinnati Bengals and potentially the 2019 version of the 2018 Chicago Bears. He thinks that this offense could explode. I, I'm not necessarily all the way there, but I think his arguments have a, a lot of merit. And we've seen Andy Dalton be effective um, when he had the right talent and, and a decent coordinator, you know, back in the Jay Gruden days. I think Andy Dalton had like a fantasy QB4 season. Uh, under his belt at, at one point. And so, you know, we, we've seen a 30-plus touchdown situation from him. If A.J. Green misses time and Andy Dalton's going to throw touchdowns, Tyler Boyd, Tyler Eifert, those are probably going to be the guys, uh, assuming good health, that are uh, on the receiving end of those things. So I am high on Tyler Boyd. And, you know, we talked about D.J. Moore. He's been getting this dynasty rise over the, the whole summer. I think it's Tyler Boyd's turn, probably. Uh, DJ Moore, I think the the equity opportunity is pretty much gone, and a lot of the upside's priced in. I, I don't know that we've gotten there with Tyler Boyd yet. We talked about not drafting scared. This Andrew Luck ankle injury, we went through this last year with his shoulder and obviously had a fantastic year. My question with the Luck ankle injury is, is there a point at which you would start to get a little nervous here with Luck, or is he just proven he's he's going to be fine no matter what? I mean, we've never started a season worried about Andrew Luck's presumed health. <laughs> I mean, that's, we've never been in this situation before. Yeah. I mean, geez, I, I feel like, okay, so like two years ago, ah, he's going to be fine. He's going to play. It's Andrew Luck. He's going to play. You get totally burned. And then last year, 
you know, what was it like in July? Oh, well, he's throwing a tennis ball today. He's in Europe getting secret treatments. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, then, of course, he comes out and slays. So I think, you know, for like two two straight years, the majority of, of people have probably gotten Andrew Luck wrong. Um, I'm, I'm at a point you know, where if we if we get to an injury situation and and people don't take any preseason snaps and they're getting limited camp work and we're just going to find out what they are in week one, I, I'm starting to steer clear of those guys. And, and redraft, taking the injury discount, um, it's, it's not about playing scared. It's just a, a lot of times that ends up burning you. It really does. You know, you wait more. It's not just the weeks that they miss. Do you feel comfortable starting them the first week that they're back? It might be a little bit different for a quarterback. You know, if, if we're talking about a running back or receiver, you know, those guys maybe need a, like a prove it week, quote unquote, uh, before you can start them. But I, I don't know. I would really like to see a full bill of health for Andrew Luck, like by week three. Uh, if I have any like late redrafts before I would I would invest there. I think certainly you have to bump him down. If he was fully healthy, he's probably right there in the conversation at the top in that second tier behind Patrick Mahomes, but in there with Deshaun Watson and uh, Baker Mayfield and, and uh, Aaron Rodgers and, and those guys. But right now, uh, you know, he's more of like a, a later single digit round guy. I'm going to let somebody else take him, uh, especially in single quarterback and super flex, probably still going to have to be a little more aggressive there. And last, but certainly not least the big news this week, Deontay Foreman was cut by the Texans. It's funny how you get these reports. He was looking great, looking strong. So Lamar Miller still hanging around Curtis. Where do you place him here in terms of what your expectations are for, for 2019? Oh my goodness. So Lamar Miller, uh, he's like, he's the backfield cockroach of, of fantasy. He will not die. He's just always there. Uh, 250 boring touches probably again this year. Um, probably going to finish, uh, like in, in year end, uh, PPR rankings higher than his actual value on a weekly basis would have been just, uh, on a basis of, being available and, and being in the lineup. I, I think Lamar Miller, he's basically a play like in a lineup setting league. He's a play that's going to save you having to sweat the waiver wire and uh, best ball, maybe a little bit more valuable. Um, you know, we, he did have a, a nice run uh, into Sean Jackson. The two of them seem to be a, a pair that helps each other out. Uh, uh, beginning of last year was actually a little bit of fire for the first six weeks or so, but uh, he, he just doesn't excite me. It's not like I'm all of a sudden, Oh, Deontay Foreman's gone. So Lamar Miller is now my running back 14. It's just not going to happen. Um, not really a target, but being who we are, if you're going to go one elite running back and, and build kind of a committee for your flex and your running back to situation, he's certainly in the team picture for that type of situation. I've gotten some interesting answers to this one. What's the best sporting event you ever attended live? Oh, man, that has to be uh, 2001, uh, my uh, junior year uh, of high school baseball. And I'm in, I'm in center field uh, in the state semifinals for uh, baseball tournament division one. Um, it's, it's the game that I'm playing in. I don't care about the game that I'm gonna go watch other people play. I, I want to get my blood pressure up, uh, goosebumps on my arm and, uh, bunted home, bunted home out of five hitter, but bunted home, uh, the tying run go on to, uh, win a game and we ended oh. up losing in the semifinals, but it, it was great because I never bunted and, you know, Patrick, you're going to get the, the bunt signal when you go up, just letting you know, and was able to execute. So that's that's like the biggest memory. It's a lesson I try to teach my son. You got to keep yourself well-rounded 
uh, and be ready for anything in, in sports. But I, I guess if I was going to say as a spectator, I mean, I don't know that I've ever been to like, Hey, the big, like memorable game. Um, I, probably the, probably the, the one that people would maybe remember. Uh, I, I went to Marshall university. I was there during the Byron Leftwich years. Yeah, sure. And if you remember, if you, if you, uh, remember a game where Miami university with Ben Roethlisberger went to, down to Huntington and after the game, the uh, Marshall had won, and, and the Miami coaches just wrecked the press box. Absolutely, just <laughs> trashed it. It was a big controversy. Both teams were actually ranked at that time, um, and you know there were some after the field uh, festivities with the student body, and that that was pretty fun. So some people may have uh, remembered that game between Leftwich and Roethlisberger. That's a great one. I still can't get over Button Home the tying run. That's a that's a lot of pressure there for a young kid. Oh oh man, I I mean you just you 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 can't foul those off. You can't pop them up. You got to get it down. And I, I was a swing away guy. Uh, through and through. And so it it was just a proud moment. I got a dynasty question here about Antonio Brown. And and I think there's some relevance to this. It says, what do I do with Antonio Brown? He's not in Pittsburgh anymore. And I'm realistic. Derek Carr, that his production may fall off. I hate selling too late. I'd rather sell too early. He's only 31. Should I hold and take the risk? Or do you think there's a time that maybe I could move him before he drops off this year, potentially? Interesting question about a Hall of Famer. I get it. Yeah, this is like this question probably came in before we found out that he did like the anti Michael Scott George Foreman grill thing. <laughs> right. So so for those of you that haven't fully caught up, Antonio Brown like cryogenically froze the bottom of his feet and was diagnosed with like severe frostbite now. Um and you know, for a wide receiver of his ilk, uh the the fast footed, um, precise route running um, you know, guy that's doing agility drills, wearing Gucci loafers. I mean, his feet are everything. And so I, I, I'm honestly pretty scared for the guy. Uh, I, I think when I first saw the, these images, I just thought, you know, he, he had some sort of like moisture issue and the bottom layer of his, you know, his foot was kind of peeling off and he need to take a couple of days off just so he didn't kind of wear through there. Um, but man, getting diagnosed with frostbite, I mean, that's, that's significant. I don't know how much time he's going to miss. I think, uh, he's had very limited reps and pads with the full team and with Derek Carr. I think a lot's been made about his chemistry with Ben Roethlisberger and, and all the production that came when the plays broke down and they went off script. He hasn't had any time to do any of those things with, with Derek Carr. I think Matthew Berry and Field Yates talked a little bit about this on their pod the other day. Uh, you know, referencing some of that as well. I thought they illustrated the point well. So um, I don't think you can sell him um, in, in, in Dynasty right now. I don't think people will give you the full value. I think you got to let him come back, play a week or two, let John Gruden pepper him as he's done with other veterans uh, in his coaching career with all these targets. And then, then maybe you have a chance. Then you can move him to a contender and get uh, – something approaching a reasonable payoff for him. But I, I don't think you can sell Antonio Brown in Dynasty preseason right now until we have a better indication of, of when he's going to be playing. I did buy some shares of Antonio Brown in Dynasty after the trade. Matt Friedman, I think, is somebody who was uh, kind of crusading against Antonio Brown, that he's you know he's kind of over that crest in his career toward the end of last year and his efficiency had fallen off and, you know, really just a a volume receiver at this point. And I tend to agree with him, but I also not sure that it mattered. I just think he's not really like a wide receiver overall wide receiver. One guy He's more of like a wide receiver eight or nine guy that could still end up with 160 targets in an Oakland offense that 
still doesn't have better options than him. And so I was buying on that basis. But, you know, this is scary. I hope he's okay. That's why Dynasty is really the best form of fantasy football because you have to analyze longitudinally. And the next question I have is very similar. We're talking about Todd Gurley. Now, obviously much younger, 25 years old, but it's about a Dynasty startup question. Would you lean taking him or a guy like Carrion Johnson, younger player, run first offense, just cut Theo Riddick, but obviously nowhere near as talented or has not certainly performed at the level of Todd Gurley. Where do you lean between those two guys in a dynasty startup? I'm still going to take Todd Gurley over carry on Johnson. And um, it's not really that much of a de- debate for me just because of the, what you said first there, the potential single season upside for Gurley. I mean, dynasty is, it's a long game, but we're still trying to win each year. And I think Carrion Johnson, um, you know, certainly has a bright future in front of him. And he was young coming into the league. And I think, you know, maybe he could be a back end running back one for a couple seasons. But the, the Detroit Lions offense is still not something that, like, gets me all hot and bothered. Like, even if you told me Carrion Johnson was going to get uh, hands down 65% of the work in, in Detroit, like, I'm still not going to think he's a top five running back. Um, and Todd Gurley doesn't even need anywhere near that to still be in, in a top five situation just because of the sheer number of touchdowns that, that are on the table there for him. The Rams are going to outscore the lions by an order of magnitude. And, um, you know, even if his role between the twenties, um, were to be limited, I still would expect him to get the work down near the goal line, uh, in favor of, uh, of Daryl Henderson or anyone else that they want to give the ball to Malcolm Brown, John Kelly. Uh, also factoring in there. So Todd Gurley, I'll take over carry on Johnson just because I think in 2019 gives me th- that chance that he could actually win my league for me. I'm willing to take that risk. Where are you? And Todd Gurley, I agree with you. And Todd Gurley was such a high performer. He he was so dominant that he could dial it back a little bit and still outperform Carrion Johnson, who saw, you know, spurts here and there. But they have Ty Johnson, of course. CJ Anderson could be a pain in the rear. I know he's, you know, he looked like a, a massive balloon. I understand that. But we, we've seen Gurley at such a high level that even if he's less than that, he could still be dominant, could absolutely be a top 10 running back. And Carrion Johnson needs to get there first before I say it. Moving on to fantasy football redraft trick or treat. Are these players, Curtis, tricking fantasy owners to their current ADP or are they a treat? These are going to assume half point PPR, of course. Let's start. These are some people that have gone either way here if you look on social media. Packers, Aaron Jones, currently the RB15. That's that's a, a trick. I, I don't want any part of Aaron Jones at RB15. I agree. I, there's too many question marks. Wouldn't be surprised if Dexter Williams takes that job. Saints, Latavius Murray, RB33. Again, that seems low to me with the way Mark Ingram's been in that offense. Okay. Th- this is like a, a treat that tastes horrible at first and then starts <laughs> tasting better the longer uh, that it's in your mouth. So I think so. Latavius Murray at the end of the year is probably going to have uh, a respectable fantasy ranking amongst running backs. He, I, I think he's certainly going to be uh, an RB3 at worst. But I think he's going to be very frustrating in roster management leagues, knowing when to start him. And so I, it, it's not that he's – it's not he's not – he's just kind of there for me. I'm, I'm lukewarm on Latavius Murray. I'm not somebody that's going all in on him. Uh, if I end up with him, that's fine. 
I'm never going to really feel comfortable starting him. He's like basically like a bi week fill in for me. Like I'm not going to I'm not going to draft both New Orleans Saints running backs and try to lock that down. I, I don't think it's necessarily safe to just say he's all of a sudden Mark Ingram. We talked a little bit about this earlier. I, I think Murray's a, a been in some good spots. He's been a prolific touchdown score, but. Um, I'm just kind of ignoring Latavius Murray. I don't. That's not really an option. What's between trick or treat? He's or. I'll give him or. So he's basically the candy corn that's given out at Halloween, right? He's not the hundred thousand dollar grand bar. He's not the pretzels. That's what you're saying. He's the he's the snack sized toothpaste. Like <laughs> it's useful. You just didn't really plan it. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Konami code quarterbacks all the rage. What do you think about Dak Prescott, QB 17? He's got Amari Cooper for a whole year. Hasn't been that accurate, but he's in a contract year. What do you think? Trick or treat at QB 17 for Dak Prescott. Oh, man, that is a treat. I will take Dak all day at QB 17, uh, seeing what he did and and ramping up his uh, passing yards per game with Amari Cooper. They've had the whole offseason. Um, I, I like the change offensive coordinator. Uh, we go back to that whole, you know, uh, drumbeat verbiage that we talked about earlier. We've, we've heard a lot about the Cowboys um, getting some different looks, moving some people around the formation. Uh, maybe there is an opportunity for it to be a little more Dak centric offense in Dallas there, especially with this extra time they're getting without Zeke. I think he is a, a lock uh, to outperform QB 17. And last one, Jordan Reed. We've heard this before, but he is super talented, having a fantastic training camp in Washington. Trick or treat at the tight end 17 for Jordan Reed. I mean, yeah, you just you got to throw something like this in there. So I'm going to say treat. And here's why. Um, because if he pays off, he's going to pay off big. Like Jordan Reed has never not been a strong asset when healthy. So if he's healthy, you're going to play him. He's going to produce. And perhaps more than ever, he's been the, you know, he's the very clear best option in the offense right now. And in a, a start, a single tight end league, if you draft him a tight end 17, like your drafts tomorrow, and he gets hurt before the season or gets hurt in week one. I mean, it, you're you're just streaming tight end. We already talked about this earlier. We're waiting on tight end anyway. You know, so, you know, if if, if you're going to try to win the flex and you, he's got a lot of upside and you want to take him as a tight end two that you can just discard, you're fine. You have nothing invested in him at tight end 17. He's like an end of draft dart. So uh, for those reasons, I'll call him a treat. Yeah, low risk, high reward. Absolutely. What's the best Christmas or birthday gift you ever got as a kid? Uh, there's there there really were so many, uh, my poor parents. But I I can't remember how old I was. I must have been like in sixth grade or seventh grade or something. And we were always the family that like we got the game system like two years late, three years late. Okay, so Super Nintendo. You know they're out with like, you know the third iteration of Mario, that's when we're going to get Super Nintendo. That was our family. So the for the but the, for the very first time, Black Friday rolls around and there's a new game system. It's the Sega Saturn. Do you remember the Sega oh Saturn? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Jeez. And we we got it we got it the first year. And my brother and I could not believe it. And of course it was like, you know, it was definitely like the the B option on the market. I think it was the same year that the, the Sony PlayStation, the original Sony PlayStation came out. And so, you know, Sega was trying to compete with that or something like that. But, you know, we went from cartridges to a CD. I mean, we we were just 
pumped, man. I don't think we did anything except sit in front of the TV for a solid week after that Christmas. And my son is four and a half, and I just was able to pick up Super Nintendo, and I got Super Macho Man. He was playing it on the computer. I mean, I don't know how long this is going to last, man, but the guy loves it. I mean, we're going back like 25, 30 years on this game, but you know what? Getting that new game system, there's nothing like it when you're a kid, so it's it's the instant babysitter, right? Yeah, man, that's, that's great. I've got my son playing... Um, the old Mega Man's from NES yes. on his Nintendo Switch. Yeah. Retro for life for sure. You covered Mike Williams for the road of his player profiler draft kit and predicted his big breakout last year on the mailbag when you were talking to Jeremy Hart. What's the dynasty value for Williams coming into this season? Do you see him being even bigger and better in 2019 with Terrell Williams vacated 41 receptions and 64 targets? With Mike Williams, people are screaming um, touchdown regression. Um, and I mean, it's fair. You know, I don't think the rate's still going to be there. Um, but in, in that video that I did uh, for the Roto Underworld uh, World Famous Fantasy Draft Kit, when we talked a little bit about the fact that um, Philip Rivers and the Chargers offense in the pairing with Ken Wisenhunt, they do typically steer their touchdowns towards just a, a couple receivers. Uh, so that is a, a check mark in Mike Williams' favor. Uh, they do throw a, a, quite a, a healthy number of touchdowns uh, every year. You know, Philip Rivers is not usually like a, a bottom half touchdown guy. The Chargers score a lot. They're an efficient offense. I think there's going to be plenty of opportunities for Mike Williams to score. And, you know, we're just assuming that, like, I'm not going to just assume that Hunter Henry is going to roll in and get like 100 targets. Like I, I just, I, it's been a couple years since the Chargers have really driven their offense through a tight end. Um, Keenan Allen makes it go. Um, I, you know, I think if, if you give even like a third of Tyrell Williams vacated work to Mike Williams, I mean, that's going to offset any of the negative touchdown regression that that he might have. I think he's a, he's like the best type of flex or wide receiver three option. I mean, um, he he has upside that's easy to see there. I, I, he he still could score double digit touchdowns. That might just be who he is. He might just be uh, a Des Bryant um, type of guy. And with Keenan Allen being the route runner that he is and drawing so much attention, Mike Williams doesn't really have to beat the other team's top corners. I, I just like the situation there. So um, his dynasty situation you're asking about or his value uh, in FFPC dynasty startups, you know, he's basically an early sixth round pick at this point. Um, so I think he's priced fairly. He's not somebody I'm clamoring to go get any earlier than that. I'm not going to draft him a full round early at this point. Um, but I think early in the season, he was probably still a value, but yeah. And, and redraft probably even a little bit more, uh, excited about him, um, where he's going versus dynasty. And we all remember week 15 last year against Kansas city, the three touchdowns, 34.5 PPR fantasy Woo! points, number two overall. Yeah. That was quite a performance. Yeah. I, I mean, so all, all the guy's done is when he's gotten his chance, um, he's, he's come out and balled now. So, you know, the, the wasted rookie year is behind us. We saw the breakout that we wanted to see at times last year. Now we get um, a, a, a big uh, tree of a man in Tyra Williams out of town, and we can see what Mike Williams can really do. Got to remember, this is a, a top half of the first round talent just a couple years ago. 
um, for basically wide receiver university in Clemson, right? I mean, they've got a pretty good track record here at this point, and he's playing with a Hall of Fame quarterback. So a lot, lot of things in Mike Williams' favor. Definitely true. Let's hit the redraft lightning round now. A little quick reaction to each one of these. Had this debate in the flex draft this past weekend. I had to decide Odell Beckham or Juju Smith-Schuster. Who do you like better in seasonal? I'm, I'm going to take Juju uh, for my presumption of his high volume. Um, I, I think Odell Beckham could outscore him even with like 20 fewer targets just because of potential touchdown upside in the Cleveland offense. Again, I just think that, you know, we know that the Steelers are going to roll out that, you know, probably 600 some odd passing attempts uh, in, that, in that range and, and, and be a top passing team. And, you know, we lost Antonio Brown. So Juju Smith-Schuster definitely on the very short list of guys who can lead the lead and lead the league and targets. And I will take that floor over Odell Beckham's floor. This one's probably rhetorical after what we said earlier. Eric Ebron, Vance McDonald. Well, it's, it's you know, I, I, I like Eric Ebron. So this isn't an anti-Eric Ebron thing. I mean, I think he's underappreciated, but uh, it's a log jam there in Indianapolis. And Vance McDonald has nothing in his way at the tight end position and, and not really anyone else on the roster that offers similar skills to him either. And Eric Ebron's, you know, got Devin Funches in town now there and maybe uh, healthy Jack Doyle. I, I know he lost a lot of weight and was battling some kind of unique injuries there. So Vance McDonald all the way for me there. Better second QB in a two QB league. You like Andy Dalton or Matthew Stafford? <sighs> Jeez, I, I mean, I, I choose. Uh, I'm walking the plank, but I, I'll take I will take Andy Dalton um, because there's a chance that that offense could be a lot better. You know, we've, we've got fresh life here uh, coming from something that resembled offensive competence in, in Los Angeles and uh, D- Detroit um, still rolling out kind of the same old thing. Been a while since Matthew Stafford's been uh, an, an upside play at quarterback. So I will take Andy Dalton there. And finish this sentence. The Patriots running back with the most fantasy points at the end of the season will be... James White. <laughs> it's the safest play. Absolutely with the targets. Curtis, one more, then I'll get you out of here. You've been fantastic, of course. Great, great stuff. Last question. You can't win that fantasy league in the first two rounds, but you certainly can lose it. Give me an early round player in redraft that you're trying to avoid in those early rounds because you think the floor is way too low for your liking. Well, now I think uh, if I go the easy route, I'm just going to say Antonio Brown because that's uh, a little crazy uh, with what's going on with his feet. We could say Ezekiel Elliott or Melvin Gordon because of the holdouts, but you know we've already talked a lot about them in this episode, and that's nothing new or uh, any extra value at the end here. So I am going to say Dalvin Cook makes me a little nervous. Yep. Uh, even if the team, even if the team is going to run the ball more. Um, we just haven't seen that consistent health, and we don't really know what a carry share uh, market situation is going to look like with uh, their their new back that's in town there. So I will um, probably not have – I don't have any Dalvin Cook yet and probably will not have any Dalvin Cook unless there's a big slide there avoiding that guy this year. That is a great one. That's why I went two wide receivers this past weekend in the Superflex draft to start at the turn. I don't like Dalvin Cook. Folks, Curtis Patrick, amazing co-owner, chief brand officer here at Rotoviz, co-host Dynasty Command Center, fantastic follow. I don't think the guy sleeps at all. He put his two kids to bed before we start, but I, I don't think he sleeps much at all. Follow him on Twitter. Three kids. Three kids. Three kids. Even better. Uh, follow him at C Patrick NFL. Great job, Curtis, man. Keep killing it. You're doing a great job at Rotoviz, of course, and looking forward to, to all the great stuff that's going to come out here in August and then into the season. 
I appreciate it, brother. Keep killing the show, Mom. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the Fantasy Football Mailbag Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so follow us on Twitter at rotovizradio and at Randall Ramp. Make sure you tell a friend, and don't forget to sign up for a 10% discount on our podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. It's a no-brainer, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Geico presents, yikes, another voicemail from your roommate. Sup, roomie? Hey, a pipe burst in the basement. It's completely flooded. Anyway, I called for someone to fix it, but in the meantime, I was thinking we could finally have that indoor pool party we've always wanted. I got some cool swan floaty things already going. Could you pick up some chips on your way home? Later. The Geico Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected. Like if your roommate isn't the brightest pool float in the flooded basement. Visit Geico.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings. A four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th. Only on Showtime.